0: Hi and welcome back to Thoughts on Therapy. I'm Caleb Matthews.
1: I'm Lauren Spaulding. And today we are talking about Caleb's biggest love in life, Harry Potter. Oh my god. (laughs) We'll be relating it to attachment theory.
0: I am so pumped about doing this because I actually help run a group uh, that talks about this all the time. Um, So we have... A couple groups actually right now which I'll put the link on how to sign up if anyone's interested um I'll put that in the description of today's episode so feel free to sign up and get involved Um, but the two groups that we're running right now we're talking about book six and book three um and I guess just to give you a little bit of information because I don't think Lauren you know this either Yeah, uh,
1: I was going to say, when you say we, you mean you and two other people. (laughs) I'm actually not a part of the group, uh, because if y'all remember from our attachment intro episode, I am in this relationship where I have seen all the movies, but don't share the same love, and I'm sorry.
0: It is so sad, um, (laughs) and I hope the listeners don't hate you like what you said earlier, uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's. I am obsessed with Harry Potter, so um, a few months ago, um, well, not even a few months ago, a few years ago now, Yeah. Um, my uh, former supervisor, Marshall, and one of our best friends, um, Jamie Lynn, um, we started this group, and how it works is um, we meet about once a month um, to talk about usually a section of chapters from Harry Potter, and we put those through the lens of an attachment theory theme. And we'll talk about a few of them, I'm sure, today. Um, Like, for example, in the first book, we cover the topics of uh, caregiving and attachment styles and the window of tolerance. Um, And then we pick themes for every book um, and those sections of chapters. and then we talk about them uh, in a group. And um, it's just been so, so much fun to get to do this for this topic, specifically attachment theory, because there's a lot of attachment themes in Harry Potter um, and just so many great things to talk about with other therapists. So like I said, if you're interested, please feel free to sign up for our actual groups. Uh, They're all online right now due to everything going on with COVID. Um, but, uh, we'll also be speaking at a conference coming up on April 17th, um, from, uh, 9am to 4pm. So you'll have us for a long time. And that conference is the expressive therapy summit, um, which would normally be in Los Angeles, but once again is online due to COVID. So, uh, please feel free if you're interested, um, or obsessed like me, uh, come join in and we'd love to have you. Um, But yeah, uh, I guess I want to give kind of an explanation of what our groups look like um, and answer any questions you might have, Lauren. Um, But yeah, so I guess the general group, um, we start off pretty much every um, group that we have uh, given out like a little agenda and usually we have handouts Um, And then we do what we call a 30-second recap, which is actually something that we got from another podcast uh, called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. But what we do in that 30-second recap is we uh, recap everything that's happened in uh, the six or seven chapters that we've read for that uh, month just so that everybody's kind of on board in case you missed something. And those recaps are super unofficial. We literally hold up an iPhone and you have 30 seconds ready go uh, to describe what happened in Harry Potter, which is always fun because it gets people kind of on the edge of their seat and excited about getting to talk. Um, Then what we do is we kind of shift into talking about the topic, And we'll kind of cover it from a very research-based approach. Um, So we'll bring up like, oh, we're talking about secure caregiving. So you need to know what a definition of secure is and um, what seeking looks like and monitoring and proximity, um, which are all things that come with secure caregiving, which we might talk about in a future episode. We'll also probably talk about the circle of security, which is a big topic in um, caregiving as well. Um, I
1: think think that we talked a tiny bit about that in our intro to attachment episode. And I do recommend you pause and go listen to that so you can know some of the language being mentioned today. Um, But we did cover the different attachment styles and a few of these nuances that you're referencing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna get real excited because we're talking about Harry Potter um, and attachment theory, which are both topics that I love, love, love. So um, I hope that I'm giving enough (laughs) information on either of them and not just assuming that you know things. Like uh, for example, uh, one of the things that um, we talk about um, in our group that's meeting right now that's talking about the third book is uh, the themes are anxiety, depression, and shame, and how those show up in attachment and in Harry Potter. Um, And the example that I was going to give is, oh, well, depression and dementors. Those are things that just fit together so nicely. But um, I don't know if everyone knows what a dementor is. Um, I want to check with Lauren. Lauren, do you remember what a dementor is?
1: Um, Were they those things that look like um a party city ghosts, like they floated <laughs> around
0: <laughs> yes um i did it
1: <laughs> that's,
0: sure let's go with
1: <laughs>
0: um yeah that's great um there whenever uh jk uh was writing the books initially um she uh Came up with this idea of dementors. I don't think they they existed before her. Don't quote me on that. Uh, But what they do is they represent depression. um, And as a person that suffers from depression, um, she wrote about her experience and how she did that was she externalized it and created these things called dementors that um, go on to kind of affect your mood and so whenever they're around people there might be people that are more susceptible like Harry um because of things that have happened in their life or just susceptibility in general and there's like some kind of like some lighter light-hearted things because it's still a, like the third book so it's at the beginning but like oh chocolate is the cure for <laughs> the mentors
1: uh, I don't but, think I knew that
0: so that's like just a silly thing that happens but um it really starts to get into some really cool topics whenever we're talking about Harry Potter and attachment um uh, because yeah how do you handle depression and how do you look at these dementors um and see them as something that's separate from yourself that's one of the things that I really appreciate about these books is that it allows you to externalize some of those symptoms. Uh, Another thing that they do in that same third book is they talk about boggerts, which, do you remember what a boggart is?
1: I don't, it makes me think of a frog. (laughs) Uh,
0: The boggart is the thing that they have in this huge wardrobe in the third one as well, but it takes on the shape of whatever you fear most.
1: Oh, yes, I do remember that.
0: Yeah, and so um, we use that to kind of talk about anxiety and fear in the attachment episodes and how anxiety and fear shows up for different attachment styles and uh, what that would mean. But yeah, it's been so, so much fun to get to kind of put these themes on. Uh, But I guess the main thing that I want to do rather than dive deep into attachment would be to like See, let you guys see kind of the world that gets built around Harry Potter and how you can use that to know attachment themes better. Because, yeah, I think it's really useful to externalize some of that stuff sometimes. Because a lot of time we might really start to identify with our depression or we might really start to identify with our anxiety and to know that it's just a part or a piece of us that we can externalize and look at and pay attention to I think that I mean that's something that's really helped me and my clients in therapy I'm curious Lauren how has that shown up for you
1: I uh, I obviously love parts um I don't think we've talked too much about what type of therapies we use with our clients but the main therapy I use is one called IFS or internal family systems and It is all about giving voice and building autonomy around your parts. And IFS is not actually like super unique to that. It's what what IFS brings in is like just a different way of exploring that. But this has been a theme throughout the birth of psychotherapy where so many different theories and so many different researchers and what have you have co- connected this human experience of the complexity of our mind and the complexity of what we go through that it, we don't often just feel sad or just feel angry like there's so much more nuance to it and so there are other theories that call it archetypes there's it the inner child is a like a buzzword right now um parts. And yeah, I, I love it, because it it feels so truthful, because it's like, clearly a common thread through so many different therapy models and mental health theories.
0: Yeah, I mean, IFS is definitely one of the uh, therapies that I love, love, love as well. Um, I think that it just gives such great language to just what's going on inside a person's head that it tends to remind me if you've ever seen the movie inside out it's like we're finding all of those different emotions or those different parts that are showing up inside your head mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be the core emotions that are showing up it might be other parts that come from experiences that you've had yeah
1: yeah, and with that movie, they actually, Pixar actually reached out to Richard Schwartz, who is the founder of IFS, and they asked him what he thought about the way they were interpreting this visualized creative world of the inside of someone's brain. And he was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty spot on. Like, there there are some differences, but um, especially for portraying it for children, like, it was a really great adaptation of how the inside of our minds work
0: <laughs> that's so cool I never knew that that they contacted Richard Schwartz that's so awesome that Pixar I'm pretty
1: sure I'm I might be starting a rumor but I'm pretty <laughs> sure when I first learned about IFS uh the woman who spoke about it referenced Inside Out and talked about them uh, collaborating a little bit with with him so yeah that's that was years ago though in graduate school so I'm like am I remembering that correctly but I think I am
0: <laughs> oh man that's so so cool uh I hope <laughs> it's not a rumor but if it is I guess I'm okay starting it <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah
0: one of the things that I want to uh I guess come to with Harry Potter and attachment um, because I want to try to use terms that maybe y'all are getting more and more familiar with. Um, This podcast is just going to, I think, continue to build on itself as we go along. But one of the things that I know that we've talked about before is um, the circle of security. And uh, that's the one uh, in the previous podcast where I told you it might be helpful to like look up the picture of what the circle of security looks like. So, if you want to pull that up again, you're welcome to, but it talks about the idea of there being a secure base and a safe haven for a person. I want to add a little bit more to your toolbox and your knowledge base around that, because what makes a good secure base? What makes a good safe haven? Um, there's another researcher, I believe his first name's is Kenneth, Kenneth K, K-A-Y-E, But his research talks about that there's three things that a caregiver needs, that care qualities that a caregiver needs to possess in order to raise a child that is gonna be doing well. And the three that he says are nurturance, guidance, and boundaries. And why I'm bringing up nurturance, guidance, and boundaries is because Harry Potter has characters that emulate that anytime that you have a trio you might be able to like reinforce that onto them but one of the things that we've done that's helped me um in relating Harry Potter to therapy is nurturance you're able to kind of see a lot of those qualities of what it means to be with a person and nurture them and just be with them in an experience in the character of Hagrid who's just Uh, you see him in the very first scene of Harry Potter, whenever he drops off baby Harry uh, on the doorstep of the Dursleys and he's crying and he's just with Harry in that moment. Then you've got Guidance, um, which once again, in that very first scene, you've got Dumbledore who is also dropping off Harry um, and Dumbledore goes on to play a key figure in Harry's life and what Guidance looks like for him is What's the path forward? What do I do next? I'm going to give you just enough information that you can figure it out for yourself, which kind of goes into another caregiving topic of like the good enough mother where you don't want to go beyond what your child needs, but rather just give them just enough that they can figure it out on their own. So that way they're able to grow rather than just have things given to them. But that's an important piece, that guidance piece. And then the third piece is uh, boundaries, which uh, McGonagal, the third person that's there that first day, she's emulates boundaries so perfectly. She's always making sure that the children are following the rules of school and making sure that they're safe and like safety's the main concern for her but she does such a good job at holding boundaries and making sure that boundaries are kept. There are, I mean, a few examples where, you know, she's going to buy Harry a broom, even though he's not allowed to have one as a first year student. Um, But for the most part, she's like very good on boundaries. um, I think you would say if you've read the books a few times,
1: that's very realistic of nobody's perfect at these things. Yeah. That you actually don't have to be perfect to have a secure child. Like there is value in ruptures to a relationship and in repair and in feeling disconnected or disjointed with loved ones, uh, which there's like a whole book on that, that I'm sure we'll talk about in the future. But I love that, that you say that, that there are obvious moments where she kind of wasn't living in that value or was making an exception and that often happens in attachment
0: yeah I think that's going to happen in anything too like if you ever assign a person a role they're going to you're going to be able to spot times where they weren't living that role because people aren't roles they're people so yeah trying to assign it to them fully is probably not the most healthy, but I do think that you have, I mean, whenever they first brought up, Marshall brought up Nurturance, Guidance and Boundaries, it was so easy to be like, oh, what, what characters go with this? And the, mm-hmm. in that first scene, I was just like, oh, it's the three that drop him off at school, which is so great because it's like, look, he's already got this beautiful caregiving, which just makes so much sense whenever Harry finally gets to go to school. And he just feels so secure and safe. And like Hogwarts is my home because he's getting all his needs met. He's not living with the Dursleys anymore. He's has nurturance. He has guidance. He has boundaries. He knows that he can be safe. Even at this school where he's getting attacked by the darkest wizard every single year, he's like, but that's home. Which I just yeah. think is so interesting and such a good theme on attachment because it's like, He has, he goes through some real struggles at Hogwarts, Mm -hmm. but yet he's always like, this is my place. These are my people. (laughs) Um, And I do think he's healthy because he really does like he has the tools.
1: Yeah. And that speaks to some parents interpreting secure attachment or healthy upbringing as I'm never going to allow my kid to experience bad things and so they're like hovering over them when they're little so they don't fall and they hide if a family member dies or they keep information away from the child because they're like I don't want you to experience bad things and that actually doesn't lead to secure attachment that could lead to anxiety and struggles with trust and all of that and I like that nuance of um having secure attachment and having your needs met doesn't mean that there is an absence of hardship and hard moments and challenges and even trauma and that those can still happen but they are experienced in a different way when you feel safety around you from your loved ones.
0: I I think each of those is so important and I like I mean I'm trying to think of what the characters of Harry, Ron, and Hermione would do, because we usually talk about adults, but I mean, as the characters progress throughout the books, you could probably put that trio under the microscope and say, Ron, I would probably put as nurturance, Hermione as boundaries and Harry as guidance. Mm -hmm. uh, That they kind of grow into these other like these characteristics of themselves but that that seems a little bit harder because whenever it comes to caregiving usually it's what you give to someone and so Hagrid is giving nurturance a lot of the time like we said earlier not all of the time but a lot of the time but I I mean I love getting to use this therapeutically because it's made it so much easier as a therapist who sometimes works with younger kiddos. Um, The youngest I see is about 12. Um, And so I get like 12, 13, 14 year olds that come into my office that have read Harry Potter. And it's so nice to be able to ask them like, what are you needing from a therapist today? And they're able to name like, I could use a Hagrid in this situation. Like I need someone to just be with me or like, we're talking about bullying and like I need guidance, like I need a Dumbledore to step into the room with me today. And like, that I think is such a good skill for anyone to have is to be able to name what type of caregiving you might be needing in a certain moment. Like what type of care would be helpful for you today? Um, And that I think goes not just for like little kids talking about Harry Potter, I think that's a good skill for anybody. Like whenever you're hurting, what would be most helpful?
1: And that's not often something that we pause and think about in our everyday lives until we learn that skill by going to therapy or doing something therapeutic that can lead to that new self-awareness. Yeah. I like that. I also want to point out that like, I like that with nurturance you called on to two male characters and in previous decades, nurturance was always seen as like this female quality and this like feminine role and like very much put on mothers and it's only been recently like in the 2000s and maybe even in the late 2000s that nurturance has been expanded to parents all parents should be inhabiting this quality and looking to um share nurturance with their littles and i i I always love it when something in media breaks that old h- habit of putting it on a female lead or um, a feminine character.
0: Yeah. I love that as um, just kind of a wall being broken down, uh, that stereotype kind of breaking down for for this idea of nurturance. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, as a male counselor, I'm all about nurturance being with men. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's such an important quality for us to kind of break out of those roles that society puts us in. And speaking of that, uh, I think that it's an important thing to mention because we're talking about this. Uh, J.K. Rowling, um, rolling like bowling for people who want to say Rowling. Apparently Rowling's wrong. You've learned something from this podcast. Um, but... JK Rowling um, has recently come out and said some pretty harmful negative things about the trans community specifically, um, and has some people that are talking about how um, being trans is not okay. Um, And I just want to make a very large shout out to say that we separate the books from the author And by we, uh, I mean the group, Marshall, Jamie Lynn, and I, um, that these are books that belong to people now. And that's such a sad thing because for so long, she's been so supportive of not bullying and making sure that people weren't called mudbloods or felt less than just for being who they are. Um, And we got so much information and hope from her for so long, as we've talked about in here today, like people aren't perfect and it's not okay, the things that she's saying. Um, yeah. And this has ruined the books for a lot of people. And we hope that it hasn't ruined them for you. Cause I truly believe that they're excellent books, but yeah, it's really hard to support somebody or at least not name that she said some pretty hurtful things about the trans community. Um, I don't mm-hmm. want this to take up a huge amount of time in the podcast, but um, I did want to bring that up as something that I do believe is important. So if you want more information on this, uh, I encourage you to reach out to us or reach out to your friend, Google, and just uh, look up kind of some of the stuff that she said, because it's pretty, um, it's not something that's being misinterpreted. She's Mm -hmm. pretty direct about um, what she believes, and it's harmful and hurtful, and that's not okay for people in power or influence to... Speak uh, to minority groups in a way like that. Not okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. I I think it is very important, and I was thinking that too throughout this episode. Of we definitely have to name that, and we definitely want to make it very clear that we do not support that in any way. We are actually quite the opposite, and both on the board of a nonprofit that fights against um, LGBT suppressive and oppressive behaviors, um, from people of power. So I agree that it's just really heartbreaking how that impacted so many people who have felt such a connection to this world that she created. And for some people, you can't separate the book from the author and that's okay too. You know, we all have to, um, manage these types of hurtful situations in a way that feels right to our own healing and our own boundaries. So,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm
1: glad you said that.
0: One of the things that I want to make sure is said on this that I think comes from, comes at it from a psychological perspective as well is this idea of empathy because I think that's something that's something that we cover actually in book six of Harry Potter. Um, so we're we talk about empathy early on in book six as an attachment theme. But one of the things that I think is important whenever we start to talk about like, well, what is empathy in that section of the Harry Potter and attachment theory group, whenever we're just kind of going around, one of the things that's come up is the idea of the law of empathy, which actually uh, Jenna Minnix, who founded the organization Lauren was just talking about, the Human Empathy Project, she came up with this law of empathy for her dissertation. And what she says is that if you picture empathy like a flowing stream, and you picture it from flowing from a place that's higher, maybe with power and privilege, to a place that's lower, that empathy needs to flow both ways. But if it's ever flowing uphill, it's being extremely generous. And so what's making me think about that is JK Rowling, uh, rolling like bowling, excuse me.
1: (laughs) You just said it wrong I've you corrected everyone. (laughs) I said
0: it wrong for years. And then someone said (laughs) rolling bowling thing. And (laughs) anyways, she has this power and this influence. And so she's up on this hill with all of this power and It's, I don't think, fair to expect people that are lower on the hill that are in this minority group to empathize with her. Whatever your reaction is, that's okay. If you want to keep reading the Harry Potter books, great. If you feel like you can't look at one and you need to get rid of your copies, that's okay, too. Like, if you want to make sure that you never buy one of her books again, totally fine. But... I just think all reactions are possible because you're in that lower position because she has so much influence over our community and the world. Like she said one thing in a tweet and millions of people knew about it days later. Like that's power. Yeah. So I think that that, that's what's showing up for me. So I just want to really um offer any comfort to people that were hurt by those words and say that your reaction's valid.
1: Yeah, you can join my book club, the Anti Harry Potter. I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're to not be around Harry Potter, Lauren is.
1: <laughs> well, we are coming towards the end of our episode today. Thank you all so much for listening to us, and we hope that you share our podcast with friends and loved ones that you think could benefit from hearing some things about living and the human experience and mental health. If you want to reach out to us for any questions or comments, we do have an email account, askthoughtsontherapy at gmail.com and feel free to send us a message there. And don't forget to check out this Expressive Therapies Summit. It's going to be really cool. It's uh, over multiple weekends. And I actually present on another weekend i think mine is april 30th and i'm talking about ifs uh with Sandtray therapy specifically but there's all sorts of cool topics especially if you are a therapist um, that you can learn about and check out through this summit and it's super accessible since it's virtual that means the ticket price is low and that means you can get on and off at any time and there's just a lot of benefit to it being virtual right now anything you would add Uh, I don't think so.
0: I mean, I'm just so excited to have gotten to talk about this topic today. And like I said, uh, if any of you are interested, feel free to check out that link in the the description below. And we will hopefully see you soon at either the Expressive Therapy Summit or at one of these online groups or maybe at our next episode. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Mm -hmm.